Welcome to the Subtle Reformation Podcast. We're so glad that you can join us. I'm one of the hosts, Ben. And I'm Stephen. And we're really glad that you've joined us to listen to us muse about formation and what it means for who and how we can be in this world. Well, good morning and welcome back to the podcast, Stephen. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good, especially after um, our brief discussion about um, testing the podcast and getting some some feedback before we go live. It's been good to hear some people finding our conversations helpful. Yeah, it is. Definitely makes you feel uh, more confident to continue having some conversations, doesn't it? When yeah. you're like, oh, okay, people actually enjoy this. Like, we're not just rambling idiots. That's ha- very <laughs> handy. Yeah, and we're not, we're not just sort of speaking to an imaginary audience. Yes, that's right. We like listening to ourselves. It's really enjoyable. <laughs> Hello, is there anyone out there? You know? Yeah, yeah. Check, check, check. One, two, one, two. How many, how many sound people does it take to change a light bulb? One, two, one, two. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I like that. I'm going to definitely got, use that on my sound, guys. I've got a drummer joke, but it's really rude. Yeah, okay. That's fair. We'll keep that off the podcast. You can just tell me that after. We'll put it in the show notes. I've got one for every, you know, for the singer, for the guitarist, for the keyboard. Oh, okay. Well, as long as we're inclusive of all musician types, I think we're fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to offend everybody equally. Yeah, great. Perfect. Well, that's just what we're going for. Well, <laughs> well it happy, is great. Happy to, happy to start again if you want. No, no, this is perfect. This is great. I was going to say, it's good to be back and good to be having these conversations. Mm. Hey, um... I thought it'd be good for us to maybe dive into uh, a topic today uh, just around, I guess, kind of the big picture is this idea of um, narratives. Um, mm. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is that uh, often the narratives we know are the narratives that form us. Mm. And, um, you know, we're going through a season at the moment where there is a lot of news and a lot of narratives um, going on around, you know, COVID, but then also just about, What's the new normal going to look like? What's life going to look like? What's, you know, church is going to look like? All these different kind of narratives going on at the moment. And I guess one of the questions that I've been wrestling with and what I know others are is kind of this whole idea of how do we find the right voices amidst all of this news and fake news and conspiracy theories? And, you know, how do we, how do we find all the right voices? Like I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and they were saying when they were getting their hair cut that their barber was telling them that you know 5g was the reason that coronavirus was spreading and all this sort of you know crazy conspiracy theory stuff Mm. and i'm just going how can we i guess as you know as followers of jesus Mm. you know he calls us to be people of truth Mm. How how do we kind of find that in this sort of season how do we kind of find the right narratives the right Mm the right things for us to listen to in a way that help us follow Jesus, but also help us to be people of truth and hope and life and all of those things that come along with it. Mm, yeah. That's, um, I think it's a, um, it's, it's not just a good question. I think it's a, a, a critical, um, like a critical dimension to the way in which we live our lives and, um, you know, specifically how we can, uh, you know, practice our faith in a way that has integrity. Um, and a, a couple of things immediately come to mind. Um, 
Well, one of the things you brought to my mind, and that was the um, the quote by um, N.T. Wright, Bishop N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright. Mm. Um, uh, and I believe you um, you read it, um, you read something that I wrote on my blog about um, Tom Wright. I'm not sure yeah. if it was clear in the piece that I wrote, but I actually saw him say this. Like I was actually present when this happened. Yeah, and, I think it said that, but I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, well, he. Um, so yeah, you know, you're a you're a, um, a Victorian boy before you headed up to um, you know the promised land of the Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was invited by St Hilary's Anglican Church um, here in Melbourne in Kew, and I'd just sort of discovered um, Tom Wright. Um, he's a like he is a frighteningly intelligent fellow, like an encyclopedic, you know, memory. Um, and uh, it, I think it was the first time he ever came to Australia, um, his first sort of public outing. So I went to see him and it was pretty intimidating because I think he's got like two PhDs and several masters. Like he's a very intelligent guy. Wow. That's an incredible. Yeah. And the like, rooms, yeah. And, and the rooms packed with um, all of these kind of PhD candidates. And so it's quite a scholarly um, gathering. And then I was there. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh and I, I, I just kind of, I, I just thought I'm not even going to pretend to compete with all of these really intelligent people. And, you know, he's given this really, um, uh, you know, flowery introduction. And then he stands up and in a very sort of Tom Cleese sort of, um, you know, Monty Python-esque way, like he, with, with like deadly serious yeah. delivery, he says, right. About a third of what I'm going to tell you is incorrect, but I don't know what that third is because I believe I'm completely correct. And you could, wow. just, you could just hear the spanner being thrown in, the, like everybody's thinking, like this kind of, you know, the machine kind of, like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm here as part of my PhD work. I need to attend scholarly, um, you know, seminars and lectures. And, you know, and I thought, what a fantastic way to begin. And I've seen him in his recordings um, do it since. Um, and I remember um, a friend of mine um, back when I was um, uh, first starting out in youth ministry, I remember he said something very similar. He said, remember, at the end of the day, the best anyone gets for theology is seven out of 10. You can't get more than 70%, about a third of what you believe at any given point is wrong. You just don't know what it is. Yeah, wow. And you know that, you know, when you, the older you get, when you look back on your life, you think, oh my God, did I actually believe that? Um, you know, that, that is, that has changed radically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, experiences and, and life, it, it changes what and how we believe. And I think what I really appreciated about um, Tom Wright's approach was, uh, well, a couple of things. I, I, I don't know whether he was specifically saying this or whether I read into it, but one was just the humility with which you've got to approach the task of knowing. Um, yeah. Uh, or, you know, ont, 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 ontology um, is, the, is the technical term. You know, how do we know? How do we know truth? And, um, you know, you look, at, you look at Protestantism, you look at, you know, Christianity. We're notorious for, you know, well, we've got a particular view of the truth that you don't so we need to kind of form our own you know our own group our own sect our own denomination yeah yeah because you don't take you know the the stuff that's really important as seriously as we do kind of thing yeah um 
So you tend to tread really lightly. And I think the other thing implied in that um, pretty, pretty strongly is, you know, you and I might disagree on, on um, something, but the, our relationship and the way in which we treat each other and the way in which we relate to each other is actually pretty important. Um, and, um, you know, if, if I'm sort of striving for truth and again, I'm doing that thing with my fingers, you know, yep. yet somehow I betray the fabric of our relationship. I treat you in a way that um, does not extend to you dignity and, and kindness. Um, but you know, I've got the truth. Yeah. I mean, that's where, um, you know, terms like hypocrite are justifiably leveled at, um, you know, people of faith. Um, and even, you know, you know, put, put, put faith and, and religious belief aside, just in relationships, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're trying to make a point and you win an argument, but you lose, you know, you lose the relationship. Yeah. Um, so I found, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, seeing Tom Wright do that and seeing him do it since in, you know, lectures of his that I might listen to or videos that I watch. It's a great, um, it's a great sort of primer. Oh, totally. And I think that was part of the reason, like reading that quote was part of why this conversation started for me because I just felt like it's, it's such a good attitude to have. And I guess the other flow on from that. So like hearing what you said, I agree, Tom Wright, the 30% great humility in the sense of I'm willing to continue to learn. I'm continue to be um, willing to be wrong and to have my ideas and thoughts around this changed, you know, mm. to led to be led to the truth in some way where I'm unfortunately not there yet. Mm. Um, which is incredible from, like you said, a guy who is so highly respected, revered and well-educated. So mm. you kind of go, okay, that's interesting that, that it mm. seems as if he would be open to hearing my thoughts on a topic, even though, like you said, he's got seven masters, two doctorates, and I just passed my graduate diploma, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, the in, other in thing, sorry. <laughs> well, sorry, what was that? In horticulture. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. In horticulture. But the one extra thing that I guess has come out of that for me has been, you know, we hear a lot of stuff about our echo chambers and, oh. you know, the algorithms that know and dictate what we like and what we're going to respond to. And we get our own ideas and views reinforced. So I go, oh. He knows that 30% of what he's going to say is potentially wrong. Mm. How do we, how do we step out of our own echo chamber where we Mm. just feel like I'm trying to learn something different, but I'm continually reinforced my own bias, my own perspective, uh, my own way of seeing the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I think, yeah. So, so, so first things first, a sense of, Humility, and again, I don't think we have a really good grasp on the concept of humility. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, so, so in um, embodied in what Wright did and does mm-hmm. is a humble attitude, um, and often, you know, so for example, humility and meekness um, uh, are used interchangeably sometimes, and the the actual dictionary definition of meekness means to control the explosive power of a, of a stallion, of a horse. Yeah. So it's not, I become a doormat. It's, it's, um, it's putting, it's putting self-imposed limits on yourself. Um, and humility, um, 
humility, you know, it comes from the, um, you know, from the, uh, the Latin word hummus, um, not hummus, the, uh, you know, <laughs> the food, <laughs> humus, like the ground, the earth. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because at the, at the dojo, we, we do kids talks, um, with, um, you know, in the children's classes and, yeah. and one of the talks that we do with the kids is practicing humility. And we talk about, you know, hummus and, and of the earth and, um, we are all created from the same substance mm -hmm. uh, and we walk upon the, the humus. We walk upon the earth. And if I feel as though I'm better than you and I sort of, you know, try to lift myself up over and above you, I'm no longer in contact with the earth. I'm kind of floating through the air. I believe that I'm greater than you and I have yeah. a right to look down upon you. But at the same time, if I think you're better than me, um, I'm no longer on the humus either. I'm sort of beneath it. Mm. humility is understanding that there is an inherent equality um there might be things that you can do um better than the way i could do them but that doesn't make you better it makes you different so yeah so so that's kind of the starting point but then um you know how, how do we how do we you know go out of our way and, and get other voices into our um you know in, into our own echo chamber oh, as I thought about this, I thought about a few years ago, I was invited to speak at a church and um, at the very, and because um, I tell um, it's a cultural thing, Ben, um, you know, yeah. ask, ask a Maltese person a question and you'll get seven stories. At yeah, least. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so I started this practice of actually writing word for word, my talks before mm -hmm. I do them, and, and then I would um, try to memorize them but I'd still have my notes in front of me because of this tendency. And I remember I turned up at this church to speak and <clears throat> at the very last second, they said, Oh, do you want to do communion as well? And I, you know, this may surprise and shock you even Ben, but I tend to be quite opinionated about a lot of things. Yeah. And I'm just appalled at the way in which, um, you know, in Protestantism, we deal with communion. And I, I just, I ranted and they loved it in the end. Like they thought it was a great rant, but, um, <laughs> but uh, because we, 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 um, I think we have no idea about communion, the way it, it tends to be practiced. We, we go to the, the passage in Corinthians, um, you know, Corinthians chapter 11, and normally we start from verse 23. And before you think that I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give you an impression that I'm more spiritual than I actually am. I've actually got the web page open, so that's how come I know. Oh, okay, out. great. I actually googled communion Corinthians. That's how I found it. I don't, I don't do chapter and verse. I'm rubbish with numbers. Yeah. But normally we start at verse 23. You know, for I received from the Lord, I deliver it to you. You know, mm -hmm. the mighty was betrayed, um, and then we, you know, we get to, you know, um, uh, you know, you must examine yourself. Verse 28. Uh, you know, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves. So then what we do is we, we, we talk about that, you know, you've got to examine yourself. You don't want to do this in an unworthy manner. And we give people a moment of silence, you know, close your eyes. Um, and the reason why that's such a horrendous activity, I'll, I'll explain in a second, you know, close your eyes and think about how you might have. And, you know, we encourage people to think about, you know, their day or their week, how they've offended yeah. people set it right, then you can eat in a worthy manner. And it's got nothing to do with what Paul is talking about because mm -hmm. the story actually begins in verse 17. And he's having a go because they're getting drunk and they're eating more than their fair share. But what's really fascinating is, is he's not upset <laughs> with the fact that they're getting drunk. 
um, what's happening is there are a group of people who are beginning the meal before everybody has arrived. So there are people who are getting there early yeah, and they're thinking, Oh goodness gracious, do we need to wait? You know, they smell all of these delicious, because it wasn't just a little bit of bread and a small cup of wine. It was actually, yeah. you know, a, a, a delicious Middle Eastern meal. Yeah. Yeah. Often, um, you know, because of the nature of some of these communities, it was probably the best meal you would have that week. I don't know if you've ever been to a developing country and um, you, you go often to a poor community and you have this incredibly lavish meal. Lately. Yeah. What we often don't realise is the sacrifices they will now have to make for the rest of the month in terms of how they eat. Yes. They, yeah. They, they, they presented the best. So, so it's part of that hospitality tradition and people are getting there early and they're like, Oh, you know, do we have to wait? And so they start eating before everybody else arrives. They start eating and they eat more than their fair share and they drink more wine than is allocated. And that's why they're getting drunk because they're not just drinking their own wine. They're drinking other. Yeah. So who is missing out? And I'm ranting. Like I'm in this church. Yeah. Ranting, you know, communion. And, uh, and, um, you, you need to do a little bit of mental work. You know, who turns up early? The people who have control over their own agenda, the people who can control, you know, if I say to you, oh, shall we catch up tomorrow morning at 6.30? Mm. You, need to, you need to check your calendar. Are you available? Because you have different um, yeah. claims on your time. You're a, you're a husband. You are employed by a, a, an entity. So yeah. you, you kind of need to check. Um, so the people who turn up, early are people who have control over their agenda, over their lives. The people who don't turn up are people who don't have control over their agenda. And in this context, in this story, who are the people that don't have control over their agenda? It's the slaves. Yeah. It's the poor. It's the working class. So it's people of means. It's people of wealth. It's people of privilege who are able to get there early, who aren't waiting for those who don't. Yeah, they couldn't be bothered, and not only could they, did they not have the decency to wait, but they 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 don't even have the decency to make sure that those who are turning up late have something to eat. And so yeah, and I remember, I remember on a weird little tangent that in Acom, like with my studies, we with one of my facilitators, we we looked at this passage because we were talking about the church. And we, we had to physically act it out. So he got us like actual communion elements like we would have today and did exactly what you said happened. So a few of us got to go in first and we were there just like, wow. you know, shotting all the communion glasses because <laughs> we were told not to leave any behind because we yeah. didn't know exactly what was happening. He kind of just put us through it. So like, okay. And we did that, ate a whole bunch of bread. And then mm. this next group of people came in and he said, now offer them the elements. And we were like, we can't. <laughs> And it was, it was so confronting. Like it was actually like, okay, like that's what was happening. That's what people were doing. And you could feel the entitlement, but also like, I guess this sense of, oh, like, sorry, I'm, I'm more important. I kind of drank all the juice cause I was thirsty and I ate all the bread cause I was hungry. Yeah. Oops. Awkward. Out. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that is what um, the writer of Corinthians is having a go at. He's saying, if you eat, when, when not everybody is here, you do not rightly discern the body and the blood of Christ. Therefore, examine yourselves. Who are you leaving out? Yeah. And that's what communion is about. Who is not here? Yeah. And I was, I was chatting to this, you know, I was, I was talking to this church and I said, you know, um, 
you know, who is, who, who cannot be part of this community? You know, not just who can't be here on a Sunday, but, and it was, it was in a, um, a regional part of Victoria. Um, so, you know, um, you know, regional cities, regional towns, they tend to be quite interesting places. Um, you probably hear um, in those places more than you do in the cities. Um, you know, when you talk to people who are not, um, who are not people of faith and you, and you talk to them about church, you know, and coming along the church, they're like, oh, you know, if I did that, the roof would fall in or, you know, God would. Yeah. So people who, who not just they can't because of the way in which they live their lives, but inside of them, there's this sense of, I can't go there because I will be judged or um, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy. Um, I won't be accepted. All of those sorts of things. That's what the communion message is about. Who is not here? Yeah. And so I said, you know, to this congregation, don't, don't flame and do this with your eyes closed. Do this with your eyes open. And, and really, you can't do this here on a Sunday morning. You have to do it as soon as you leave the building. Look around. Who is not here? Who really needs to be here? Who, who needs to be part of a, a supportive community where they can be, um, you know, where they can be encouraged, where they can belong, where yeah. they can make a contribution as well, not on our terms, but, you know, on their terms. And um, and I remember people came up to me and said, that was amazing. <laughs> that was better than your message. <laughs> and, and I think, um, I think, you know, in terms of this question, how do we get other voices in our our lives by sheer bloody mindedness, by regularly yeah. asking ourselves what voices are absent? Yeah. You know, regularly, simply because, see, I'm, I'm, um, I was actually talking to my class last night. I don't know if you remember the Cronulla riots. Are you oh, remember? yeah, yeah. They were oh. hectic. Yeah, I was, I was talking to them about... Um, uh, I was actually speaking at a conference in Belgrave Heights and I was driving home. It was summer, February. Yeah. Because I'm Maltese, so I tan. Like, I, you know, I think about the sun and I, I go brown. Yeah. And my, <laughs> that must be nice. <laughs> and my, my, um, my hair was like really short. It was like I, I was using like number two or number three clippers to keep it quite short. Yeah. It was a week-long conference and I was driving backward and forward every day. So I, I didn't shave. I sort of had a... You can see where this is going. Yeah, yeah, totally. Of, of Middle Eastern appearance. Yeah. <laughs> and and I remember, and I was telling this story last night, I pulled up at a set of lights in Croydon and um, a couple of guys were yelling. They were sort of standing on the on the street waiting for the, you know, the lights to change so they could walk across the street. And they were yelling and I was kind of, you know, turning, looking in the direction that they were yelling, trying to find out who they were yelling at, you know. They were swearing and, you know, go home, you effing lebo. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sort of, look, I'm trying to find out, you know, because I was the only car at the, at the intersection. Yeah. So who are they yelling at? And then it dawned on me, they're yelling at me. Wow. Because I'm of Middle Eastern descent. And so I yelled, you know, I yelled back at them in my best Aussie bogan. Yeah, mate, I am going back home, mate, to, to Dormo, you know, to Dormo. <laughs> you know, and um, so, so um, you know, in, in my life, in, in different ways, I have experienced what it means to be an outsider. Yeah. So, and I think, and we all have, so don't, don't, you know, if you're a white middle-class Aussie, don't go, oh man, there he goes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we you're all, right. We all have. Everyone has experienced what it means to be an outsider. Everybody has experienced what it means to be misunderstood. Therefore in your world, um, there are going to be people or, or potentially at the fringe of, you know, 
being in your world, there are going to be the voices of the other. And it's, yeah. it, 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 it requires a deliberate and an intentional decision. You know, every, I mean, it's, it's, it is a, it is a spiritual discipline. I think, you know, when you look at the yeah. life of Jesus, he's, he constantly deliberately, you know, in the gospel of Mark, um, the one, one of the most, there is a model of a fella who deliberately and consistently chooses to put himself in situations where he is exposed to difference yeah, and he's open to difference. And so when I said, you know, how do we get other voices in our world? It, it, it is firstly, you know, humility, that NT right yeah. stuff. Um, I may be wrong here and me being wrong might be, you know, it, it might be crushing to mm-hmm. another human being. It might be crushing to another people group. I've got to entertain the possibility that I might be wrong and I've got something yeah. to learn here. But that's only that's the first step. Then the second step is it is now incumbent upon me. I have to go. I have to go from whatever the center is for me to the margins. And I have to deliberately find those yeah. voices that are different and I have to listen to them. No, so that's not good. A, not a, I, I don't go to tell, I go to listen. And yeah. it's interesting, you know, the, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the log and the spec, you know, that don't, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you got to, you got to log in your own eye, but you're judging the spec in the others. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I actually I think, um, don't quote me. I think it might actually have been a Queenslander who taught me this. Um, oh really? Okay. A bit of a Go legend on. up there. Um, you should look him up. Well, once restrictions ease, you should, mm. he lives on the sunny coast, Steve Turner. Okay. He's, he's, I'm always up probably, for a trip to the sunny coast. Yeah. He, he's probably known to quite a few youth workers. Steve's a bit of a legend. I think I actually learned this from Steve. I'm not sure. Um, it's a classic passage, you know, the log. Yeah. But look at when Jesus gives the advice to his disciples. It's just before he sends them out two by two. Yeah. Okay. So you're about to go out on mission as it yeah. were. You're going to, you're going to go into cross-cultural situations and cross-cultural contexts. Um, when you go, um, enter the home of the first people who show you hospitality. Don't upgrade. Yeah, yeah, just the first people, not yeah, the, the best people. offer. Yeah, um, that normally comes later once you become popular. Yeah, yeah. Stay with the first family who offers you hospitality. We don't really think about these instructions. So the first people who offer you hospitality, take it. Mm-hmm. Don't take anything with you. Yeah. So mooch off people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people who are most likely going to offer hospitality are the poor you know, those who are lowly mm. and be really careful that you don't whack them in the eye with your log whilst you're busy <laughs> trying to pull the spec. Yeah. So all of this sort of stuff, it's hidden in plain sight in the gospels. It's this deliberate, I, I, I don't know, I, I, you know, I, I've got to assume I don't know. And therefore I've got to go and find, you know, the voices yeah. and perspectives that are going to help me see and help me understand and um, more often than not, they're going to be found at the edges on the margins rather than at the center. Yeah. I've, I've talked a lot, man. No, that's that. good. All of this stuff is, is it's kind of challenging. It reminded me and you know, it's a, it's a quote from like Jordan Peterson. So take it as you will, because you know, I know some people love him, some people hate him, whatever, but he just had this, this thing that's sorry, always who's, stuck. Who's, sorry, who's Jordan Peterson? He's kind of like this 
he's he wrote the book um 12 rules for life or whatever oh yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so he's he's got some interesting things to say but this one thing he said once really really stuck with me and he said to risk thinking is to be willing to be offended you know like you've got to be willing to actually potentially as you're thinking as you're trying to figure things out be aware that you may offend others but also be aware that others may offend you and that that's actually part of this whole thinking and understanding process is when some of the things that you believe and that you hold dear are challenged by other people's perspectives and thoughts yeah. you do you you risk getting offended but actually in all of that there's an opportunity to really think and yeah. to really learn not just to be people who are lazy in our understandings or complacent in our perspectives yeah. and yeah. i think that like that always really challenged me because i think sometimes we always risk we you know and you got to be right you want to try and mitigate offending other people but sometimes we try and keep ourselves from being offended too. As soon as someone offends us, like, well, I'm going to throw out everything that they have to say mm. because they slightly offended me. Um, mm. And, and probably another one was just I th some other leader. I can't remember who it was, but they kind of said the, like the things that frustrate you, the things that you get angry about, the things that you judge are often the things that you just fail to understand yet. Mm -hmm. And where, where, where I thought you were going with that is that that psychological, um, uh, phenomenon they describe as projection yeah you know, the, the thing that you really hate in somebody else is actually a thing in you yeah you know so that thing you do that kind of annoys me oh yeah, yeah I, I can kind of live with that but that thing you do that geez it really you know i just I, I see red i get so angry it's actually a part of my own self that i despise that's what kind of moves yeah me. okay oh, I can, you know, I, I can you know i can cope with it through to no i won't tolerate it well, that's, well, that's confronting on a whole nother level again. So now when I get annoyed at my wife, if she hasn't put like the cups away in the right spot, I've got to think about, is this, is it that I don't put the cups away in the right spot? Is oh, don't think brother. No, <laughs> it's, it's a sense of order. It's a sense of control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I just, I think in all of that, and I guess probably what I'm hearing from, from you in this is that, that sense of you got to have humility because when you go, to seek out the other, there's mm. a chance that some of this stuff's going to happen. There's a chance that, you know, mm. some of the things they're going to say are potentially going to, you know, offend <laughs> well, you or confront you. Or... NT right, there's a 30% chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, there's a 30% chance. <laughs> Something they're going to say or do is going to offend you, challenge you, um, cause you to judge, cause you to like feel something rise up within you potentially. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> Just, and, and again, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial here, but my, my understanding of offense in the biblical narrative is um, offense is a choice. Mm. You know, it says, you know, when you take offense, you know, if someone puts an offense on the table, you don't need to necessarily pick it up. Yeah, that's a good distinction. <laughs> but, but knowing that somebody's put it on the table and knowing that you have a choice that, that takes a, a, a profound, you know, degree of, um, you know, awareness and, and, and courage and, you know, um, yeah. so I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking about this funny thing. Um, uh, uh, I, I saw um, at the dojo, it was, um, you know, this, this old, you know, master says, you know, the, the secret, um, the secret to a happy life is not arguing with fools. Um, yeah. And then, and then this young guy says, no, it's not. 
And then this old master says, you are correct. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Uh, And the the reason I thought about that is, um, uh, you know, the the, the master chose whether or not to pick up that offense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's not right. Maybe you are correct. You know, that you, just because they, you know, they've 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 put out a, a an offence on the table doesn't necessarily mean you need to pick it up. But at the same time, I, I it, it sounds very easy when I say that. Oh, totally. But in the heat of the moment, um, you know, like I, I wish I practiced that bit of yeah. wisdom I just shared more often than I don't. <laughs> yeah, because in the heat of the moment, you feel it. You almost you don't feel like you've taken it on. You feel like it's happened to you. Yeah. And so you just instantly try and almost like push it off. No, I don't want this on me. I don't like this feeling. I don't like what you've said. I don't like your perception about all of this. Yeah. Um, and it's really, and it's really hard. Like, like my own personal experience, again, you know, we kind of, you know, we, we sort of mentioned the Enneagram here and there. Um, criticism is something that I'm highly attuned to. Mm. And, you know, you know, for me, a, a specific kind of spiritual discipline is, okay, I'm, I'm being criticized here. Um, can I just, um, you know, pause between hearing the criticism and then feeling like I'm a terrible person and they're right. <laughs> yeah. Is there actually some truth here? Is, is you know, the, again, like there's a 30% chance here. Yeah. That something that, that, that they are saying um, might actually help um, rehabilitate this relationship. Yeah, 100%. I still remember getting absolute um, shreds torn off me by a youth mum one time back in the day. And, <laughs> And having that feeling of like, what the heck? And just wanting to ignore everything they said because, you know, how it was said and how, you know, made me feel. But I just fully remember um, just a a mentor of mine had told me, you know, hey, even in in these times you get criticized, there can be just a little kernel of truth that God might just be inviting you to uh, something a little bit different, something, uh, you know, a way of leading, a way of being that is Mm. just a more refined version of, you know, Christ at work in you. And I was like... You're a jerk because now I've got to sit with this and try and mine it for maybe what is that? Like you said, that 30% that might be actually good in him that might be helpful to me, despite the fact that this woman made me cry, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think right there is, uh, you know, particularly, um, you know, because I, I think we've, you know, you and I have agreed that we are, we're doing this, this podcast for um, you know particularly youth pastors youth workers young adults yeah. young adults workers um in that very instance and, and please don't hear this critically but normally that's the only time when feedback comes when there's some kind of conflict yeah but before like, so it's, it's not a matter of waiting for it to come to you it's this deliberate i need to go i need to seek this out um, yeah because if anything it makes the blow a little bit softer because you you, you know, it's, I'm on a mission here. I'm on a mission to hear. I'm on a mission to listen. Yeah. Um, so the dynamics are a little bit different um, in that you weren't just kind of doing your thing and you kind of got ambushed out of nowhere. Um, you were deliberately going, oh, you know, I'm here to listen. And yeah. um, because my background is um, technology. So I used to, um, I used to work in IT for a, well, a couple of decades, actually. Um, uh, prior to sort of making the transition to Christian ministry. So I've, I've, I know enough about technology these days to get myself in trouble. <laughs> so, so what I, 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 and I'm aware of the algorithms that, um, you know, uh, you know, create a news feed um, tailored to 
um, my own prejudices and biases. Yeah. So, um, so I use a, like I use an Android phone. I actually mm -hmm. use like Google's own phone. So I deliberately go and visit um, websites and news sources that, um, you know, potentially offend me. Um, yeah, wow. So then my news feed will be populated, not just by the stuff I like, but it'll be populated by other things. So, so I, I, I deliberately, again, so, and, uh, yeah. I, um, go on. you hacked the algorithm. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, just understanding, you know, yeah, that, how it works. There is, there is an algorithm. Yeah. And, and I, I, I deliberately try to, um, uh, I, I try to friend people and not just friend people, on the socials, but also interact with people who mm -hmm. have a differing opinion to me. Um, so then they will appear in my, um, in my feed because, you know, yeah. if you don't, you know, yeah, yeah. They just get filtered out. Yeah. So, so I think I've actually, like, I've got a, a list of to do's like a, a to do system. And once a month, one of the to do's is go and visit some, I mean, it's not written like this, right. But yeah. Like, Go and look at the timelines of people with whom you have dissenting views to make sure that my, you know, my sort of feed is, is refreshed. And, um, and something else that um, I've found helpful over the years, and we, we can put this in the show notes, but there's a, there's a um, if you um, search for um, media bias chart, mm. it actually lists, um, you know, the majority of the world's media sources. Um, have you got um, have you got a browser open in, in front of you? Yeah, I might just send you the link. Um, yeah, so click on click on that link. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. And uh, when you've got it open, let me know because then we can I can talk about it intelligently. You got the little pyramid chart there. Um, it's just opening now. So what we can see, and what Ben's going to be able to see in a second, it, it looks like an upside-down V, and the upside-down V is made up of all of the names and logos of all of the different news sources. Can you see it, Nate? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what it does is it rates them. Um, the, the X scale is, if you sort of tilt your head, um, reliability of the source. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then across um, uh, um, from left to right is... And, and I, I, I do find this um, notion um, unhelpful in conversation, but for the purposes of people listening to the podcast so they can understand, on the left-hand side is what would be considered, you know, the lefty view. Yeah. And then across to the right is the right, you know, sort of the right-wing view. And again, like most people don't realise, those, those terms actually come from um, the French Revolution and the reformation of the parliamentary system. So the people on the left tended to be those who represented the workers and the, um, you know, the working class. Mm -hmm. And those who stood on the right were, you know, the lords, the dukes, the nobles, um, yeah. unfortunately, the church as well. And they literally, they literally stood to the right of the king or to the left of the king. So that's where those terms left and right. Uh, okay. Um, so these news sources are kind of graded. So up and down the reliability of sources through mm -hmm. to, you know, the unreliability of sources and then, you know, left to right, depending on their, you know, sort of socio-political views. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I plot where my news sources come from. 
Mm -hmm. So what I try and do is I try to have in my regular news feed. So I use I use Google News, and you can actually customize that yourself. Rather yeah, okay. Than do that for you. You can actually customize it yourself. So I try to make sure you know the top three or four in my news feed are from like the top of that triangle. Yeah. But then I try to include at least two or three. Um, you know, it would probably come as no surprise to you, Ben, that I probably am on the left hand side of the spectrum. Yep. Um, so I deliberately try to pick a couple of um, sources um, on the right hand side. Uh, so I, I read Breitbart, for example, which is a, 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 a it's very difficult to read, particularly, you know, I mean, these are uh, people yeah. fully committed to the idea that, you know, um, you know, that the, the, the Chinese Communist Party has, you know, like they're, they're right into conspiracy. Theories. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Not necessarily the reporting, but certainly the comments um, after the articles. Yeah. Terrible things, incredibly racist things. Um, and, uh, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I check out Fox News regularly. So I, I yeah. try to deliberately expose myself to um, differing points of view, um, as well as the ones that I would feel, you know, more comfortable. No, that's with. good. And uh, to hear how, um, you know, one group talks about the other. Because I remember years ago when I, um, when I was doing my undergraduate missiology, and I, I, remember, I remember this vividly, I was sitting in the library um, a table in Ringwood when mm -hmm. the table was still a thing. I was squatted on the ground and I had this book open and it was an African theologian describing um, uh, Australian, English and American theology because we, we, we just call it theology, yeah? Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, if, um, you know, if, if people are talking about theology in the context of helping the working class achieve you know, some sense of dignity. Um, that's not called theology. It gets a, a special word placed in front of it. So that's liberation theology, yeah. or black theology. And I never really noticed up until this point that the only theology that didn't have a word in front of it was ours. Yeah. <laughs> so proper theology. Every other theology. Is, and, and the inference is that's a subset. And I remember yeah. um, sitting there reading this African theologian talking about Western theology. He called it therapeutic theology. And it was the first time I heard somebody else describe the theology I had inherited, not as theology, but something theology. Yeah. And that rocked my world. Yeah, that's, that's confronting. <laughs> and the, the, the thing that was confronting it was the other describing, yeah. you know, it was the outsider to me describing us, the insiders. Yeah, no, that's, so, that's, that's interesting. Like that makes me think of, and this is just a weird little story, but my wife and I live in an apartment block and we, our view out the back is all these other apartment blocks and we have names for all of the different houses. Mm. So, you know, like we've got the Airbnb house, we've got the music too loud guy. We've got the, the topless lady who just walks around, you know, nude. Like we've got all these different names for different people. And what sometimes exactly Rachel and I sometimes go, I wonder what they call us. Yeah. Um, it's confronting. You know how you find out, don't you? How? You go, you, you open the door. <laughs> and, and just yell at them. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you open the door, you leave what is comfortable. Yeah. What is known. And you go to the other side. Yeah. And you get to know the people who are on the other side. And you ask them, what do you, you know? Yeah, what do you guys call us? <laughs> 
yeah, that may that may be you know, I mean, it might be a great icebreaker. It may be. Yeah, <laughs> but again, it's that. It, but when you do that, you risk being offended. Like they yeah. might go, oh, I don't know if you're gonna like this. Mm. Tell me anyway. I want to hear it. And then they mm. say something you're like, Well, I hate the fact that that's what you've just called me. Yeah. And now well, I understand a little bit of how you would feel if you heard what we called you. One of the things we we do, not often, but often enough um, at home, and it, like I find it, I find it really uncomfortable. But we actually encourage our kids to um, to mimic us. Yeah. So um, you know, so uh, my daughter, for example, she might put my big shoes on, and and she's like, oh, "I'm daddy today." And then <laughs> we actually encourage her to go. Well, how do you view daddy? And she, you know, she parrots back the things that she sees me say and do most often and it's pretty uncomfortable I mean it's hilarious but it's pretty uncomfortable it's pretty and then you know um because you know I've got three kids and we ask each you know so you 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 take daddy off now you know you you take the piss out of daddy yeah yeah and uh it makes for fascinating parenting it's confronting (laughs) yeah um you know having people imitate you back to you um but i'd be lying ben if i didn't say it's then great for me to mimic my children and get them to see how i see them. yeah yeah definitely <laughs> you know both 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 the, the good not just the negative so i um we've talked for a lot yeah um, it's been good though i really enjoyed it mm. really enjoyed it i think for me as we like come in the land the the part that that really stood out to me was this idea of around the um, the humility that should be found in communion. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, part of that and, you know, um, was just, as I was sitting there reflecting on that was just this whole, you know, Jesus came and died for all. Like there's not, there's not anyone who's been excluded from his, you know, grace and forgiveness and, you know, not to over spiritualize it and make us sound like we're, you know, you know, more spiritual than we are, but just that, yeah. Listen to me while I tell you all about Jesus again. But for those who can't see the video that I can see, this, the light is actually <laughs> shining on Ben, literally. At the yeah, moment. that's right. My hat is glowing right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just that sense of communion should always be the reminder that yes, Jesus did die for me, but he actually he did die for everyone. That this is that we're we're all in need of him, and it's open to all of us. Um, but sometimes I'm not very good at extending that offer an invitation except to those who walk in the door uh, Mm. on a Sunday. And that's, that's definitely challenged and confronted me around that idea Mm. afresh Mm. this morning. So Mm. it's been good, but yeah, mate, I've really appreciated you, your sharing and putting yourself out there and your willingness to, to risk offending and putting out some thoughts. But I agree. I think in this season, humility is incredibly important tool for us and a willingness to go and seek out Mm. the other the other voices the people who should Mm. be a part of the conversation should be a part of our lives but currently are not Mm. yeah that's good and just some simple practical stuff like i think that's great that you've hacked the algorithm and Mm. created some ways for you to intentionally seek and hear other voices even ones that you find difficult to listen to i think that's um and not to, you know, pump up your tires or anything, but I think that is a good way to, to go about life and to try and break out of those echo chambers and algorithms. It's, it's, it's funny. Cause um, I just realized you were being encouraging. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Because, you know, again, you know, we, we sort of make reference to the Enneagram because it's a shared framework we have, but um, ones, which I am, we, mm-hmm. we kind of have this default sense of inferiority. I must be wrong. Yeah. So, um, you know, to, to some, I guess it must sound like, oh, geez, it sounds like hard work. But, you know, for those of us who are ones, it's like, well, we've got to do it because we're obviously wrong. And the only way we can do it yeah. properly is. So, um, so for and I want to say this carefully. So for me, this is, this doesn't feel like hard work. This doesn't feel like people yeah. it's like, I've got to do this. Otherwise I'm going to get it wrong. And I don't want to get it wrong. I want to get it right. So it's almost using that dysfunctional part of, of who I am to, you know, it, 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 it's one of those rare instances where my dysfunction works in my favor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, feeling a sense of inferiority and wanting to get it right means I, I, I like it's just a habit I've been doing it for so long now yeah um, what do you think you know tell me what you think I, totally I whereas I go I know the answers to everything and my opinion is better than everyone else's so mm. I don't need to ask anyone else what to do that's my <laughs> default why would I want your opinion when my opinion's obviously right so <laughs> it's definitely challenging for me everyone's entitled to an opinion as wrong as it may be <laughs> yeah thank you thanks for the reminder yeah. I, I actually, um, I say this in, in, in my classes a fair bit. I say, um, you're not, not everybody is entitled to an opinion. Um, everybody is entitled to an informed opinion. Yeah, that's clever. It's yeah. a good distinction. But it, it means you need to practice it yourself as well. Yeah. Is this just my opinion or is this informed? Mm. You know, good. My biases. Well, uh, Thank you too, mate, for, uh, for, you know, the, the, the discipline of, you know, putting some of these questions together and for, um, for, for leading me and, and guiding me into, into thinking out loud. Um, I, I appreciate the opportunity, mate. And no, no worries. Yeah. As I mentioned, just, you know, getting some feedback from some people already as we're just, you know, testing to what degree this is helpful. That's been really yeah. good too so thanks thanks for the opportunity mate it's been great no no worries it has been really really good i've really enjoyed it but um yeah i guess that's it for today though hey it's mm. be good before we we'll look- on any further yeah 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 but uh we'll be back soon with the next episode but thanks again for today Stephen, and hope those listening have enjoyed it and been challenged and hopefully be able to step out of your echo chambers and um and just hear some things from people on the other side but that's mm. it from us so catch you later Yep. See you guys. Thank you.